chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 16 through 30. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the glorious, I'm sorry, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What you have heard, uh, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of the Israelites, but only to Zarephath, a widow, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Nahum the Syrian. Now, when the people heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. (laughs) But passing through their midst, Jesus went away. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I ask that tonight... You would be mindful of our missionaries abroad. We want to pray for Jesse and Mallory Woodall and that you would equip them with your grace today as they serve you in China. And Father, for um, my sister and the, the entire missionary program in Montana, that you would, you would uh, give vision to that place and what they're doing for your sake. And Lord, we pray also for the youth call students that you began to mold their hearts here this year as they prepare to become lifelong missionaries in their careers. And Lord, also for us here at Tree of Life, that you would make us rise up in this generation as those who seek restoration amongst all people around us. So Lord, we give ourselves to you and we ask that you give us a mission mind. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Luke wants us to understand here in chapter 4, um, the mission of Jesus. He takes this as Jesus' first words in public to basically summarize, this is what Jesus is all about. 
And so we're going to look into that. And as I come to this passage, I have three questions. My first is, how in the world um, does, and this is just what you should ask every time, (laughs) how in the world does this passage fit into our series history? How does it fit into God's plan to restore the nations to himself? Where does this fit? Why did Brandon choose this as one of the 30 most important parts of our series, of the whole Bible? Why? Uh, Namely, I'll tell you this up front, that this passage is Jesus declaring to the exiles of humanity, your time of restoration has come in me. I'm here to bring you back to the Father, to bring you back to wholeness and peace with Him. And we're going to see how Jesus says that. But my second question, and it's probably the one that you're probably wondering right now, is how in the world does verse 22, where it says that they spoke well of Jesus and marveled, suddenly turn into verse 28, where they're all filled with wrath and want to kill him? How does What happens in between those two events? Jesus says one thing, oh, he's wonderful. He says another thing, we want to kill him. What did he say to spark such hatred and wrath in the people and then finally my question is um, of course practically what does this have to do with us what does this have to do with tree of life and our mission on this mountain How how does it look to live in God's story so those are three questions I have as I come to a text like this so let's review here God's story. What is God up to in history? What is his plan? Essentially, you can break down the story of the Bible in two words. Exile. That means separated, moved out into a worse condition than what you were in. And the second word is restoration. And restoration simply means to be brought back to where you were. To, to, you lost this great estate, you've moved down here in exile, and restoration brings you back to what you were made to be. That's what God's story is doing, and that's what we've been looking at. So exile. We saw at the very beginning that Adam was given Eden as his kingdom to rule for God. He was given authority over creation, and Adam sinned. And by sin, I mean he rebelled against God's kingship. He said, I don't want you to be king anymore. I'm not just going to serve under your authority. I'm going to become my own king of Eden. And as a result, Adam was thrust out of Eden, what we call exile. He was exiled from God's glorious presence in Eden. And humanity, as a result, has been in the same condition. We've been in the cursed condition of exile from God's presence. So God has a plan. I'm going to restore the nations, humanity, to me in an Edenic-like state. Live with me. So, he calls amongst all the nations a guy named Abraham and says, Abraham, you and your family, who's going to become a nation called Israel, you guys are going to be my vessel to bring restoration to all the nations. You're going to bless the cursed earth by bringing them back to myself. And we saw that God begins to do wonders with Israel. Remember, they're, they're slaves and captives in, ex, uh, in Egypt. And in Exodus, we see that God brings them out, the big Exodus movement. And he brings them to a land. And God tells them, in this land, you remember at Mount Sinai, the covenant there. God said, you're going to be my priests to the world. 
And so God's intention for Israel was to make their land become a sort of temple. I wanted to know what everyone was looking at. <laughs> a sort of temple in which all the nations can come to Israel and experience the God of restoration whom they were meant to be with. But, God's story repeats here. Like Adam, Israel sins, and they decide, we're going to rebel against God's kingship and do things our way. So guess what happens to Israel? Like Adam, they are exiled. They are removed from their land. The land that was to be like an Eden where the nations come and are restored to God. So there's Israel, and that's where we have left them in exile. And God's plan... His mission is to bring them back into restoration, back to His presence. Now, here's what we need to see. And we'll touch on this more and more as we get through the series. If sin is what caused Adam, humanity, Israel to go into exile, then what must be removed to bring them into restoration? Sin. We're, yes, smart kids. <laughs> Good class. Um, sin. And that's the big problem. That's what must be removed. And to the gospel writers, Jesus comes to remove that sin and to remove the exile. That's what we saw last week in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Um, when the angel tells Joseph, you're to name your son Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. Put that in another way. He's going to save his people from their exile. He's going to restore them back to God. What was that? So, Jesus becomes a new Moses. This is the figure he kind of puts on. You know how Moses led Israel out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt and brought them to their land, where they were to bring restoration to everybody. They were restored there. Moses led that. Jesus comes on the scene. Israel is in exile and says, I'm your new Moses. I'm going to bring you out of your exile and establish restoration between you and God in me. I'm that new Moses. So Jesus comes on the scene to lead them out of exile. And The Gospels show us this in a couple of ways. Um, You remember how last time, and if you don't, I'm sorry, I'm reminding you. um, Last time we talked about Jesus was born to relive Israel's story and to succeed where they failed so that we can live in God's story. Jesus, um, this is how the Gospels show this. First, he was born under an oppressive king who wanted to kill every baby. Remember Moses? Pharaoh wanted to kill all the babies. Jesus? Uh, Herod wants to kill all the babies. Like Moses, Jesus also was miraculously saved from the execution and able to live under God's um, sovereign uh, uh, guidance, leading. And then, um, and then, just as Israel was called out of Egypt in the Exodus, Jesus went to hide from Pharaoh in Egypt, and his parents brought him out of Egypt. (laughs) Why? Because Israel did, so Jesus is doing that. Then, we see the baptism of John the Baptist. 
Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and John is in a unique spot. He's not just in some random spot of water saying, let's just baptize here, there's water. He picked the Jordan River because the Jordan River was the place where Israel crossed to enter into their new restoration inheritance, and they came out of Egypt through the Exodus. The river was when the Exodus ended and they came into their new land. So Jesus comes to John the Baptist at the Jordan River and comes into it and says, I'm leading the new Exodus. Here we are going into restoration. And by the way, John would actually go on the, if you guys know your maps at all, um, on the outside part of Israel, part of Jordan, and they would cross through into Israel when they got baptized. So it's just redoing the whole entering into the promised land again. As Jesus is doing that. And... Then we see right after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. 40 days plays on the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness after their exodus. And they were tested by God. And they failed horribly. Golden calves complaining and asking themselves. They actually said, is God amongst us or not after water comes out of the rock? That's that's what they say. They test God. Are you with us or not? And Jesus goes through all three stages. He answers to the devil, You shall worship the Lord your God alone, dealing with the idolatry. He says, um, You shall not test the Lord your God. Israel tested God, but Jesus said, I'm not going to test God. And then when they complained about being hungry and manna, Jesus says, You shall live upon the word of God alone and not just bread. So Jesus succeeds in all the areas that Israel fails in the wilderness. And he comes out of the wilderness. And he comes right here to Nazareth. That's what happened right before our passage. We didn't read it. That was Jesus in the wilderness. Now he comes to Nazareth, to the synagogue. So, the first exodus was for Israel to come out of Egypt. The second exodus, the new exodus that Jesus is leading, is for the nations to come out of their cursed, exiled condition back to an Edenic-like presence with God. Restoration. So, Jesus announces this in Nazareth. So let's uh, look at it. Okay, first we see, and then I've set the stage for you guys for the new Exodus, we see Jesus is now going to declare this event in not those words, in different words. He's in the synagogue, and I think the synagogue is an awesome location for him to do this. What are the synagogues? The synagogues were simply collection points or gathering points for the Jews. There they would do education, they would have communal events, and they would worship. A lot like our churches. (laughs) They would come together. And the synagogue started, we believe, sometime in the exile. When they were out of the land. So, it's kind of fitting that Jesus chooses to do this in a building that started in exile. And he's going to declare, it's over. (laughs) I like that. So, in and by the way, what happened in the synagogue is kind of very similar to what we do in church. First, they would recite the Shema which was kind of, it was Deuteronomy 6, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, it was a lot of, like their creed, if you will. That's what some other denominations do in all their church services. They recite creeds at the beginning of their services. Uh, they would then go into prayers. We pray. <laughs> they would then read a portion from the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament. Then, we read from the Bible. <laughs> and then, 
someone would get up, it was often different, um, and they would give a little message on what was read. And then they would close it with a blessing or a benediction. And that's what we see here, is that we see Jesus is a particular figure on this Sabbath to read from the Old Testament. And the assigned portion that day was Isaiah chapter 61. And then he's the one who gives a little message on it. Now, it's very fitting that Isaiah 61 is a passage in which he reads on this day. What does Isaiah 61 say? Um, in fact, if you guys, if you can get to Isaiah quickly, it's the middle-ish, kind of past the middle of your Bible. I'll make a couple points about it. Because what Luke does, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 61. What Luke does here is you just see two verses that Jesus read, but he likely read the entire chapter or portion, however far it went. And for the sake of space, Luke didn't record it all. So that's why we're going to Isaiah 61. Um, Isaiah 61. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to come for all who mourn, to give to those who mourn in Zion, a, uh, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Gladness, oil of gladness, instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. And it goes on. Then verse 11. For as the earth brings forth sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause the righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Now, if you get the gist of that chapter, you saw a lot of this. These bad conditions are going to be made right. Over and over. Mourning turning into um, gladness. Um, The destroyed cities are going to be rebuilt. And... um, um, beauty instead of ashes. So there's a whole like exile type of condition that's moving to restoration. And Jesus pulls this passage. Now, what is Isaiah talking about? Let's go one more step. What's Isaiah talking about here? In verse 1 at the endish, it says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's a phrase that comes straight out of Leviticus. And you guys can go back to Luke now. We're done with Isaiah. What Luke is believed to be talking about is an event called the year of Jubilee. And it was a very happy time. What's the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee is described in Leviticus 25, which is where that phrase, proclaim liberty to the captives, comes from. The year of Jubilee was happened twice every hundred years. So twice every century. Now, you guys know that every seventh day Israel celebrated the Sabbath, which is when Jesus is reading this. The seventh day was rest for Israel. 
every seven years there was rest for the land. They were told not to till their crops, not to pick anything, just let everything grow naturally. Then, so seven days rest for the people of Israel, seven years rest for the land, and then one more step. Every seven sets of seven years, do the math, 49 years, you would have the year of Jubilee. That's a, that's like the Sabbath of Sabbaths. <laughs> yeah, they celebrate on the 50th though. So every 50 years, you had the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And what happened here is the Sabbath day gave the people rest. The Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath year gave the land rest. But the year of Jubilee set the captives free. It gave rest to the oppressed. In Leviticus, I'm not going to go there. I'll give you two verses of what it says. Leviticus 25.10 summarizes it. You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee. So it's called the year jubilee. Jubilee means joy, happy. It shall be a, a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property. Now, that's the sum. There's a, there's a return that happens. Now, it also says in verse 13 that the exiles will return to their property. That was also in verse 10. What would happen is sometimes you have to sell your land to make ends meet. And every 50th year, God said, debt canceled. Come back to your land. Come back to your home. You get it back. Just a cool rule God made. And then in verse uh, 39 of Leviticus 25, it also tells us that the slaves were released from their service. What's that? No, forever. They're released. And sometimes an Israelite, would, when you couldn't make ends meet, um, you would just simply sell yourself to serve other people in your country. And God said, this isn't to be forever. In fact, on the Sabbath year, let them go. They, they're not going to be slaves forever. So debt's canceled. And so what we see on the year of Jubilee is that prisoners are freed. Whether they're imprisoned to... Uh, being exiled from their homeland, whether they're in prison to serving another family, set free. I mean, it was the one time that everybody in the land of Israel got to experience the delivering power of God that he did in the Exodus. And what Isaiah is foreseeing is a future day when there will be this jubilee, this release of exiles, this, this freedom, this liberty, this Let's just say it. This restoration for all the people that will last forever. An eternal year of jubilee. And when Jesus is called up to read this passage, he sits down in verse 21 and says, this is his, this is his sermon, it's pretty short and sweet. Today, this eternal year of jubilee we are hoping for is fulfilled in me. I am the exile's restoration. And that's why in verse 22 the people marvel and speak well of the gracious words coming from his mouth. And they're, they're like, what? And then they start to think, but, but who is this? This is, this is the kid that lived down the street. We know his dad. It's Joseph. How can this be true? This is, um, and they're, they're going through all these things in their minds and Jesus is simply saying, I'm your restoration. 
and, and quite literally, he takes the blind and he makes them see. He, he favors the poor. He helps the oppressed. And we see that going on in his ministry. Yes, Jesus does that literally, but this is so much more than literal. I mean, he's going to those who can't see salvation, and he's opening their eyes. He's going to those who are oppressed, and he's giving them restoration. Jesus is moving a massive restoration movement in himself, and he's proving it through his miracles. He's showing the people, this is what happens when you come to me. I'm restoring the hurting. Those who are oppressed by the devil, those who are under his kingdom, are coming out. Um, in the not that form. They're, they're coming free. I hate how like culture changes everything. You have to watch it. Um, I know, right? I'm glad if half of you didn't even catch that. I'm really glad if that's the case. But here's the question. Like the really good question. If that's what Jesus is really saying, exiles, restoration now, um, how come they suddenly wanted to kill him? Like, how does this good news turn into, all right, let's sharpen our swords. <laughs> well, because of a clash of stories, recall that this series is called History, Finding Our Place in God's Story, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see God's story, and we want to know where do we fit in this big overarching story that started in creation and is going to end when he brings his kingdom. Where are we? What's our role? Well, Israel had their idea, but Jesus was calling them to another idea. What was Israel's story? What were they seeing? They were seeing... um, Let's do this. I'll give you 500 years of their history. Reader Digest version. This is their story. It helps you understand. Okay, so we know that, and we saw this because we looked at 2 Kings 17. We looked at their exile when they lost their kingdom. They've been given promises, like David. Hey, you're going to have a kingdom forever. You're going to have a son who reigns forever. And like, yeah, we're invincible. We have the temple of the living God in our town. And they go into exile. The Babylonians come and basically force them to submit to their rule. We make them leave their land and put them in a foreign land way over in Babylon. And during that time, we read in the book of Esther, a guy named Naaman, who hates Israel and wants to wipe Israel off the map, so they're definitely oppressed. Then come the um, Persians. The Persians take over Babylon. And the Persians are kind of nice. They allow the Israelites to go back to their home. They rebuild their temple, which is a pathetic little temple in comparison to Solomon's. And they start to restudy the law. And at this time, they become separatists. (laughs) We're holding... To us alone, no Gentiles. That's what they call the other nations, Gentiles. No other nations, it's just us and our law. And then the Persians fell to the Greeks. And during the time of the Greeks, um, they came and they basically forced their pagan culture upon the Israelites. And the Israelites really didn't like that. And there was, was one king of the Greeks who was really bad. This is about 150 years before Jesus. And he forced them to do things against their law, would not allow them to keep the law, made them burn their scriptures, wouldn't allow them to be circumcised, keep the Sabbath, all these things. And anybody who did that was killed. And so there's a massive slaughter of Jews. And oh, he went in the temple and basically desecrated it. He made an idol to Zeus there. And so the Jews were um, persecuted harshly. And then they fall, the Romans come on the scene, and now we're at the time of Jesus. So, for 500 years, Israel's been living in this tension of, we're serving and oppressed by these foreign nations. When's God going to do the exodus again? When he beat the Egyptians up and let us go free, when's he going to do that again? 
When, when is he going to fulfill the promises of David and give us our, our kingdom and our king? And this is what they're yearning for. And they've got this evil empire sitting over them. And they, we want freedom. And so, their story is this. We want restitution for the nations. That means we want to pay them back for what they deserve. They've oppressed us. We want God to bring us our Davidic kings so that we can oppress them. Restitution. But Jesus' story is totally different. It's not restitution for the nations. It's restoration for the nations. And this is where the clash happens. So Jesus says, what does he say to get him in trouble? Well, he says that. You guys want restitution. I want restoration. How does he say that? He says it by talking about two prophets from the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha. So in verse 25, he says this. After he said, by the way, you're basically rejecting me because no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And you guys are going to just mock me. Do this, do that. And then he says in verse 25, I tell you, in the days, uh, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. That's true. Lots of widows in Israel. Elijah is a prophet. But what does he say? He says, Elijah went to not one of the widows in Israel. He went all the way to another nation, a Gentile, unworthy nation, and healed that widow. Healed. um, Helped. (laughs) Helped that widow. So what's he saying? (laughs) One more. Elisha. He says, there were many lepers in Israel when Elisha was the prophet. But he didn't heal a single leper in Israel. He healed the leper who was the commander of the Syrian army. Who are the Syrians? Another nation, another Gentile, unworthy nation. And even worse, the Syrians were enemies of Israel. The captain of the army that oppressed the people of Israel was healed by the prophet Elisha. So what's Jesus saying? Elijah and Elisha weren't concerned just with Israel. They were concerned with the nations. And here I am proclaiming liberty to the captives, restoration to the exiles, and I am declaring it not just for Israel, but for all nations. I'm here for restoration for everybody. Shouldn't he have said restitution for the nations? Yeah, he should have. They didn't like this message. They knew what it meant. It meant Rome itself is included in this restoration. It meant the emperor. It meant all the people that are oppressing Israel. Their adversaries, their enemies. They have an offer through Jesus to be restored. That means that Israel, who saw themselves as favored, high, and mighty, is no more worthy of restoration than all the pagan Gentile nations. They heard a degrading message, is what they heard. You mean, we're as equal as Gentiles? Now they want to kill him. (laughs) Yay, restoration! What? Get rid of him. So, they try to kill him. Of course, Jesus, it's not his time. God protects him, and he moves on. So, from this scene of the angry mob in Nazareth who reject Jesus, want to kill him, we learn a very, very important message about our story, our place in God's story. What do our lives look like in this story? If we reject 
restoration for the nations. And, and the nations means as simple as the people at your school, the people next to you, everywhere on this planet. If we reject that mission of restoration, we're rejecting Jesus. The people in Nazareth said, No! <laughs> Not restoration! And they wanted to kill him. And so if we have a life that says, whoop de doo I have my salvation, I've been restored with God, live my life. Go get as rich as I can so I can please myself as much as I can. Or, even right now, in the midst of my high school career, I'm going to seek as much pleasure and popularity as I can, whoop de doo about the nations. That's, that's evidence of a heart. That's evidence of a person who's rejecting Jesus. If we don't take his mission, we don't take his salvation. Because what you're saying is that I am worthy of his restoration, but nobody else is. And the gospel does not treat favorites like that. The gospel says that you and I... And the bully at your high school, the homosexual... We are all equal. We're all unworthy of restoration. We are all exiles. And so to reject his mission of restoration for the nations is to reject Jesus himself. That is the important message of what it looks like to live in his story. That means that, guys, if we don't have a mission for people... And I don't mean you have to become a missionary in the capital M sense. But we have to have a heart to restore people. We don't have that. We don't get it. You're just as much in exile as anybody. You're cursed. This has to be part of our story. So we've got two stories here. And this is where we have to ask ourselves, which, where am I? We have Israel's story, seeking glory and retribution and justice and fairness in their own control. Bring us glory so that we can suppress them like they did to us. And how do we, how do we treat people around town? And by the way, church, I, I don't know when like, the American church is finally going to have to suffer, but it might happen. And get ready. How are you going to respond to that? Retribution! That's Israel's story. And they rejected Jesus. But Jesus' story is restoration. And as we saw, what was it, maybe a couple weeks ago, about the suffering servant. Remember Jesus' title? I'm the servant of all. That is what the church is to do. We're to serve God even if it leads to suffering. There is no message of retribution. You hurt us, we'll get you back. It's restoration through obedience that can lead to suffering. So those are the two stories. Where is your story? For 500 years, Israel lived in her story and is still living in it when Jesus comes and rejects him. So are we living in her story or his story? Israel's way of life or God's way of life? Are we rejecting restoration or accepting restoration for all nations and people and lifestyles? What, like, six months ago, maybe, maybe less, we had a name given to ourselves called Tree of Life. 
And it would be hypocritical for anybody to ever come to anything at Tree of Life, any Bible study, any social of anything, and to identify yourself with that title and not to have a heart of restoration. What Tree of Life means is we're borrowing our name from Eden itself, the Garden of God, where everything was right and the world was blessed. And the Tree of Life itself is Jesus Christ. And and, and our goal, our mission, our vision is to be ourselves, each trees that are so rooted deeply in the scriptures of God and in the living water of His Spirit that we're flourishing and we're branching out. And as we all become little trees, are flourishing around the tree life itself. We are showing the exiles in the wilderness of this world where they're parched and thirsty that there is a garden and an oasis of restoration in Jesus Christ. And they come looking for shelter, shade, refreshment, and we lead them to the tree of life itself. And, and, and restoration of all nations means that homosexuals are welcome to the tree of life. And in, in your head you're thinking, yeah, we know that, I get, I, get, I don't hate them or anything, but come on, where are they? Or worse yet, what if one came and nobody talked to me? Because you guys have your cliques and your groups and... I'm sh- let me just rephrase that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to come down on you with that. You just have your comfort groups. And you're like, well, I'm happy with them. I haven't seen them in so long. I'm so talking. And we just ignore the loner, like the first timer. You never know who they are. They could be in exile. And we just did nothing. That's not the heart of restoration. Rather, let's just take our comfort group and throw them in the middle of it. <laughs> you could get the best of both worlds. And the way we treat all people, are we scared of them? Do we think they're unworthy? Are we reaching out with inclusion? Are we seeking rest? Uh, are we seeking exiles and, and desiring to restore them? Do we just completely ignore the sinners in our schools or in our other realms of life? I know who they are. Whoo, they'll never come to the Lord. You just absolutely judge them of unworthy of the gospel. And who knows that you weren't just as unlikely to come to the Lord had God's grace not found you. Let's not adopt Israel's story. Let's rather be the new synagogue in Nazareth that hears Jesus say, I'm here, sorry, you're a jubilee to everybody. And we say, yes, don't push them over the cliff. Let's go get them all. Come to the synagogue. The tree of life is here. So that's the heart searching question is how does our story look we claim we're in God's story we're living it we found our place in it well which story did you find your place in because I'm telling you what God's story looks like and let's make sure that ours looks the same let us not assume that we've accepted Jesus unless our story looks like his story so we're not worthier of restoration than anybody else we were just as exiled I mean the ends of the earth are the ends of the earth there's no like you're more exiled than you exiles exile so let's recall that and be restoration for all amen let's pray father it is our humble desire to be part of this and God we ask for forgiveness where we have completely been selfish And we've been more concerned with our glory and comfort like Israel. Um, Give us hearts of humility that recognize all people are as worthy as we. And so, Lord, give us the heart of your son and of your story. So we ask 
to help us with this, that spirit of the living God. You fall afresh on us, that you melt us, you mold us, you fill us, and you use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.